Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Okay, so today we have a, a very interesting guest that I'm looking forward to interviewing. Um, and I guess, first of all, um, I'm not sure, is it Vanuatu? Is that is that the right pronunciation? Correct. Oh, great. Okay, and so so who are we speaking to today? Uh, this is Sandra Wantege Hart. I am the Pacific Cash and Livelihoods Lead for Oxfam. Awesome. So, um, are you from Vanuatu, or is it just that you've been posted there? Uh, I've been in Vanuatu for around two and a half years in the Pacific for five, uh, but I'm actually originally from Rwanda and the U.S. Oh, wow. So uh, you have a very uh, diverse and international background then, yeah? Indeed, yeah. I mean, and, and we've heard a lot of interesting things about Rwanda, about how technologically advanced it is and a lot of the interesting things it's done. So uh, did you live in Rwanda or were you raised in the US or, or how much uh, experience do you have of, of Rwanda? <laughs> well, I do have experience of Rwanda from visiting family. I was born there, mm -hmm. um, but I actually grew up as an expatriate kid. Um, so I've bounced around my entire life. I've lived in dozens of countries, um, Rwanda, you know, West Africa, East Africa, Asia. Uh, and I've actually spent the least of my time in the U.S. So please don't ask me any cultural or political questions. <laughs> Of the um, US, I'm really not good at answering them. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, that's okay. We 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 don't have to go there. That's fine. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things you suggested we talk about, and I think it's a nice thing, is and and I had to look this up as well. I mean, obviously, I've heard of Vanuatu, but you know, I didn't realize it's 1,500 kilometers east of Australia. So um, you, you, I think maybe could you maybe tell us uh, what is Vanuatu, and um, uh, then move on to to why you're there. Yeah, sure. I mean, acknowledging it's not the best known country in the world. Um, so Vanuatu is part of Melanesia, which is, uh, you know, a, a region in the Pacific. There is Micronesia, Melanesia and Polynesia. Uh -huh. uh, and Van Vanuatu is an archipelago of over 80 islands, 80, mm -hmm. um, spanning around between 500 to 700 kilometers, depending on whether you count uninhabited islands from north to south. Uh, and my role in Vanuatu has been a regional role. So I've been supporting Oxfam in the Pacific, including Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, and Fiji, as well as you know our counterparts in Australia and New Zealand to scale uh, humanitarian cash and voucher approaches across the Pacific region. Um, cool. Another interesting factoid that I think a lot of people don't realize is that the countries in Melanesia, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, are have been inhabited for over fifty thousand years. Um, so it's actually a very it's very old world, if you will. Yeah, I mean. I know a bit about the Aboriginal culture in Australia, and and similarly, you know, they they have had a long unbroken period of living there, much much longer than than we have in many of the places where in Europe. So, 
uh, that's very interesting, but I'm not surprised. But yeah, that, that's interesting to know. Um, so, are you based like? Are you based in the capital and how big is the island that, that, that you live on? How many people live there? And, and ha like, I mean, that sounds like you cover a really wide remit. So do you have a boat or a yacht or a plane? How do, how do you get, get around? <laughs> uh, I wish I had a boat or a yacht or a plane. Uh, okay. Interestingly, my personal vehicle is, uh, is what we call here a quad bike, which is an all-terrain vehicle, you know, a little mm -hmm. four-wheel bikey looking thing. Yeah. Um, so it's quite fun to go to and from work in that. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, there are, you know, boats and planes, yachts are a bit more expensive that get us from island to island in Vanuatu. The capital is around, uh, the census is a bit old, but I'd say it's around 60 to 70,000 people on okay. an island that you can drive around within three hours. Uh, and that's out of a total population of around 280,000 people across, uh, I think it's 83 islands in Vanuatu. Um, Vanuatu is also the most disaster-prone country in the world. Um, so <laughs> we have a lot of cyclones. We had one just in April. Um, on Monday morning, I woke up to an earthquake. Uh, on Saturday, I went to the beach and found pumice rocks created by an underwater volcano. Wow. So we, you know, we basically have to create different types of solutions to respond to these disasters that happen at minimum once a year. Uh, so for us, natural disasters are not really a question of if, it's more okay. a question of when. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, you, you live in a, a beautiful but challenging place. Um, and so you guys uh, have recently won a prize, which is one of the reasons we were going to talk to you, the EU prize. So so maybe tell us what the prize was and, and why you won it. Yeah, so the, the EU prize was part of the Horizon 2020 initiative okay. uh, that the EU runs, which is designed to reward innovation solutions, innovations in technology um, that support both European values as well as being life-changing for uh, for people in need across the world, whether it's within Europe or internationally. So in this case, the prize that we won was the Blockchains for Social Good Prize, which mm -hmm. was divided across multiple sectors. There were, I think there were around 200 applicants and five winners. And the sectors that we, the sector that we won was the aid and philanthropy sector for the solution that we call Unblocked Cash which is the use of blockchain technology to, to deliver humanitarian cash assistance in remote locations. Look, I mean, and th this is cool and this makes sense. And, and we've done a, a few stories covering the United Nations equally who are looking into using blockchain in this, these kind of areas. Um, so it, it makes sense uh, that, that you would have done well and won this award. Um, with, with the award, what, what does the award um, enable you to do? Uh, we're really looking forward to thinking laterally around what this reward enables us to do. You know, this is a solution that was really born and evolved in Vanuatu with the communities in Vanuatu um, that is now starting to expand across the Oxfam Confederation globally um, to introduce this solution to other locations that struggle with the same issues. Uh, so what we're looking at with the EU Prize is to really look at further iteration of the solution in multiple country environments that will eventually lead us to a technology solution that combines humanitarian standards 
and approaches, uh, community-based approaches to delivering assistance and, and cutting edge, tech, edge technology that can be deployed in any region in the world. And so we're looking at lining up pilots, so really reaching out to others across the Oxfam Confederation to explain to them what it is mm-hmm. and how it can support But we're all also looking at addressing some core issues you know, within NGOs and the humanitarian sector who tend to be, you know, have a bit of a lag, of course, because we tend to be really busy, um, but a bit of a lag in terms of adopting technology and really integrating it into the way we work, including policy frameworks, government, um, governance, financial management. And so we're really looking at what does it mean for a global NGO to start to deal with blockchain. You know, what does it mean when we need to account for digital assets on our books? And of course, what does it mean when we choose to accelerate the delivery of humanitarian assistance in ways that the existing institutions, whether government or finance, do not serve the needs or do not reach out to the people that we're trying to reach out to? So that involves a lot of internal education, things like webinars, resources, translating what exists in Vanuatu into multiple languages from multiple locations, but also starting to gather feedback, you know, knowledge and contributions in the same way that we did in Vanuatu from communities across the world that Oxfam engages with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a great idea. And <clears throat> as you're touching on there, you, you have to be able to tell and communicate why this is good and how it's helpful and um you know so i imagine you have to go from high level meetings to to more um, uh, granular ones so if people if people say to you okay well what is a blockchain and and how is it going to help us uh, what's what's your go to answer to, to get people on board to understand why it's exciting and why it's useful well i mean you know, it really depends on your audience, right? Yeah, so sure. if I'm sitting, you know, under a tree in a community in Vanuatu and explaining what this is, it's very mm-hmm. different from whether I'm sitting in an Oxfam or a World Vision office or whether, you know, I'm giving a talk at a blockchain conference. But what I always start with is that the, long, the wrong question is being asked by many people. You know, we drive cars, but we don't ask what are cars, right? We're not driving cars because of what they are. Um, so the question really for the layperson is not what is blockchain, but how can it work for me? You know, and in this case, what we explain is that there are millions, billions of people around the world for whom the existing financial services infrastructure, the means with which their data is managed, both by NGOs and others, and the ways in which we can deliver aid and be accountable to them mm-hmm. are not inclusive. We don't hear their voices. These are not adapted to their needs, whether those people are local staff in a small country team or whether they're people in a remote community. And what we found is that blockchain, because it's an emerging technology, it allows us to kind of shape it from the outset and start to integrate those views, opinions, and needs into the way that we develop it. So in this case, what blockchain is doing for us is it's building a network a distributed network um, that allows us to, in very remote locations, draw on a global infrastructure that is cloud-based, doesn't require complex servers, but that also is smart enough to automate complex processes that allow local people 
to engage with the technology, but also to deliver humanitarian assistance at the highest standard in a way that so far has not been possible. So we're basically taking those humanitarian standards and delivery models and automating them using blockchain technology so that the user experience for these country teams who were the first responders when something happens is easier, faster, and more cost-effective. Awesome. Uh, I think it's really exciting. Um, I guess from that, um, how, how, how soon uh, might we see the benefits of this? And then obviously, you know, we have to contextualize that we've had a global pandemic. And so um, how has that impacted the proposed rollout of this, um, th these ideas and this way of doing things? Uh, I guess, where are you at and, and how soon could, could good be a thing that we're looking at? Yeah, so the actually the awarding of the EU prize took us completely by surprise. Um, so that's a first, right? So the awarding of the prize was supposed to happen, I think, at the end of March. And we didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, we're informed in June, or no, I think July, that we had won this prize. We just thought that COVID had shut it down. So that was a really pleasant surprise. But interestingly enough, you know, the Pacific Islands are some of the only nations in the world that have yet to be touched by COVID-19 with the exception mm. of a few. So in the case of Vanuatu, what's interesting is being so isolated um, and not having any COVID cases as I speak right now, my life is very normal. Okay. That means that we can continue to innovate at a pace that exceeds where we were before. In terms of how we apply this prize to other countries, what we found is that actually, you know, the global pandemic has resulted in a global shift. You know, there is now an acknowledgement that we need to rethink the way we work, we yeah. need to rethink the way yeah. we deliver, and there is a majority of tasks that we were doing previously that are now becoming digital. You know, mm -hmm. so it's actually becoming much easier to have these conversations yep. and talking about, you know, using a cutting edge technology that gives you an infrastructure that you can't touch, that you don't need to physically build, yep. um, that you can deliver to a remote community using contactless payment methods is all of a sudden starting to ring true, you know, in the ears of many. And so what we're finding is that we're finding we have a lot of teams across the world, so including Southern Africa. Uh, the Horn of Africa and the Eastern Africa region. We have ongoing pilots currently in Papua New Guinea and Venezuela. Uh, and there are just more and more teams that are keen and really interested to start to test this now because our status quo has fundamentally changed and will likely not go back to normal. We're talking about a new normal. So for yeah. us, it's really an opportunity. Look, uh, I, I think it's really exciting. So I guess uh, now with your crystal ball, uh, you do this, this goes really well. The, the unbanked are able to engage much more effectively. We move to a cashless society. Um, what, what, what might the future look like in three to five years time if, if, if things go, go as well and as fast as you'd like them to move? <laughs> oh, well, moving to a cashless society, I think will take more than three to five years. Okay. Um, but really what we're looking at is starting to challenge the status quo, but also the existing standards and means of delivery and humanitarian assistance. So for example, one of the ideas that we're exploring in the Pacific region is, listen, if we're using this kind of floating infrastructure 
right? And we're able to seed that expertise across the region using the teams from Vanuatu that are going back and forth across the islands, then can we not shift our humanitarian assistance delivery model from something that is on a country by country basis to something that is fully transparent and able to be go governed across multiple countries at the same time, multiple, multiple disasters from a central location. So as I speak, you know, I'm validating registration data and about to enroll over 2000 beneficiaries in an island that is over 200 kilometers away in cool. Vanuatu and distribute assistance uh -huh. to them. So yeah. that idea of remote delivery all of a sudden makes the types of assistance that we didn't think were possible because of the global pandemic possible now. What we'd like to see, you know, between three to five years is a solution that has become more robust and better because we have stress tested it across multiple regions in the world that are complicated in ways that the Pacific Islands are not, right? So Venezuela being one, but also looking at how do we pilot this in environments where the challenges might be different? So looking at places like Lebanon, looking at places that are, you know, maybe more competitive financial service environments and where that's really going to push the technology to get better over time. So we hope to not just be able to offer a better solution to humanitarians within and outside Oxfam to be able to in, enable our local partners in particular to take and own and run with this technology and deliver in ways that we haven't thought of before. Um, but, you know, on the whole, we're also looking at trying to remind the blockchain community that communities in the global south, you know, communities in emerging economies in the developing world are actually some of our best innovators because that innovation is born of hardship, right? And what we found with Vanuatu is they helped us create a solution that nobody else thought of. Yeah, look, I think it's, but this is the thing, I mean, in some ways, I mean, you know, you're a collection of islands uh, remotely distributed. In many ways, you're almost a metaphor for why blockchain is so powerful. Um, so, and, and like you say, I mean, a lot of the innovations come out of Africa, Asia, and now the Pacific Islands. So I think it's great. And I think it turns things on its head and makes it less Western centric, uh, you know, and therefore, I think it makes sense. They gave you the award and, and, and it's really good to be looking at the kind of things you're doing because uh, if you can do it there, give or take the variation in other places, I think you can do it everywhere. So I, th I think it's that fantastic. That was our philosophy <laughs> to start with. If we can do it here, well, what's your excuse? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think so. Um, yeah, and you know, something that we'd really love to see is to start to see these sorts of innovations that are grown in countries that are typically disempowered that are now kind of giving back to developed countries and the rest of the world in this blockchain space that is still so new that, you know, it's unknown to any, any, everybody. Uh, and doing that in a way that acknowledges and empowers the people who participated in creating that solution in the first place. Yeah, look, in some ways it could be the perfect fit that it's decentralized and therefore in theory it could be bottom up. And, and like you say, uh, it's a very positive and hopeful technology. I'd also like to mention that, you know, this wouldn't be possible without donors, you know, who use taxpayer money, who have invested in us, in granted an idea that sounded quite crazy at the beginning when I started writing it in 2017. So those donors are the Australian government in terms of our initial pilot 
um, and the New Zealand government who have now come on board to scale this solution in Vanuatu. So we're now looking at not piloting anything anymore. We're actually using this to deliver humanitarian assistance across three provinces, over 12 islands, enabling a consortium of 17 partners to deliver to over 35,000 people across the country by March of next year. You know, so that acceleration, you know, for us really just validates that, you know, the future brings opportunity, you know, and if we can scale that that quickly here, then we're really excited about being able to take those lessons and that expertise elsewhere. Uh, I think, like you say, New Zealand have been fantastic. I mean, they've had they've shown such strong leadership on the whole COVID thing anyway. Uh, it, mm. it shows that a lot of good examples are now coming out of places that weren't maybe traditional sources of innovation, but but they're showing that they can do really good things. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Like I said, I think that, you know, innovation is actually easier in locations that are small, you know, and in locations where the existing institutions are either not there or have not been adapted to the needs of people. You know, that gives us a huge gap to fill and a huge space to work in. And it also means that people's mindsets are much more flexible, Yeah, you know, because they know what the rest of the world has and they want it, you know, and they don't understand why their governments or financial institutions aren't providing it. So, you know, for us in Vanuatu, we kind of flip that into an opportunity to say, well, it's not about what we can't do. It's about what we can do because nobody else is doing it, you know, and that's that's something really cool that, you know, in the case of the Papua New Guinea pilot, we recently spoke with the central bank of Papua New Guinea. Uh, and it turns out that they think exactly the same way, you know, that for them, innovation is not an option. It's not a sexy thing. It's a necessity because there's such a vacuum of the goods and services that exist in the developed world that we just need to take advantage and think differently. Yeah. Oh, look, it's it's exciting. And I, I think by them giving prizes to people like you, it just helps to also shine as light on it. And that in itself is positive as well as enabling you to do the things too. Oh, totally. I mean, I really hope it's inspiring, you know, that it's inspiring to anybody anywhere that feels like they're in an environment that maybe is not known or not recognized, but have great ideas that can genuinely change the world. I mean, I was on a mission to be changing Vanuatu and changing the Pacific, but this prize has truly made it global. Um, and I think it's making our voice heard in a very credible way. Uh, and I'm really excited to see how people challenge the way that we do things here mm. and kind of twist it and mold it, you know, according to what they need and what they want. Because for me, that's how technology becomes responsive, you know, and that's how technology becomes adaptive uh, yeah, and look, stops being kind of a static thing that we that we can't change and that's imposed on us. Oh, I think you're right. I mean, it's like Linux and the whole open source concept that you do something which is kind of cool, but you put it out there and see what anyone in the world who understands what you're doing can do to improve it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we are all smarter and stronger together. <laughs> you know, than on our own and having a diversity of perspectives is just key. I mean, I think the blockchain space is kind of funny because there's this perception that it's a bunch of like crypto bros in Silicon Valley trying to sell something that nobody really understands. But, yeah. you know, when our video came out, all of a sudden it became real 
to people who had never even thought to try and define what this thing was or start to ask this question of like, oh, maybe it's not about what blockchain is, but it's about what I can do with it, right? Uh, And that was was really cool. And, you know, we had no idea that we were doing something so groundbreaking until that video came out. And then we started getting inquiries from all over the place. Which is cool. I mean, and this is this is the thing. And like, I think we have enough solutions out there already in some ways, uh, because like we're in Ireland and we look to Scotland and Scotland. So I'm on an island as well. And we look at the Scottish <laughs> islands like we're on an island off off Ireland. Um, and in Scotland, they're making over 100 percent of their energy from renewables, which means that they can now think about what do I do with the surplus of free energy, which is is, is a change of the paradigm, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what better time to think about changing our paradigms than right now? I mean, that's really why COVID-19 has just made it clear to everybody that the direction humanity was heading in was maybe not the right direction. You know, so the question mm-hmm. is now, how do we use our smarts to continue to do the things that help our everyday lives, you know, like transact with others, feed our children, and our families uh, communicate with each other the way that we're communicating right now uh, and start to do things in totally unconventional ways. Uh, I, you know, I think it's like humanity has had a lot of pandemics, right? And we tend to forget that. Um, But during those pandemics, this is when you have shifts in classes, in power, um, in the way that we speak to and engage with and relate to each other. And I think that doing that in a socially responsible way when at a time when everybody is being affected and everybody is in need is something that everybody's woken up to. So kind of this idea of doing things just because it's sexy and to make money uh, is something that people are a little less open to right now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, than usual. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, we interviewed a guy uh, who was talking about in potentially in the future, the companies that will do the best will be the ones that as a client or a user, you have a, a deeper empathy than just that their product is cheaper than someone else's, you know, that you feel their values are aligned with your values and, and that therefore, and I, and I said to him, well, what about greenwashing? And he said, yeah, but you can't do that for a long period of time. You know, it will be the companies that genuinely match your beliefs that will be the ones that you have a, a longer and more committed relationship to. And ideally those that, you know, not even triple bottom line, but quadruple bottom line that, you know, like you say, they're, they're doing it for the right reasons, not just to make a fast bark. Yeah. I mean, I think social responsibility is sustainable. At the end of the day, you know, and when you look at new and emerging technologies, the gateway to mass adoption isn't the people who have access already to a lot of technology. It's the people who don't. You know, if you look at like the leapfrogging and the adoption of mobile phones in sub-Saharan mm. Africa, Africa yeah. that's an excellent example. At one point, people in Africa had more access to mobile phones than people in Europe and the U.S., you know, yeah. and that reminds you of something, of the fact that those people did not have landlines, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that is the gateway to mass adoption. And for us, it's really looking at the people that lack access to essentials after a crisis, but also lack access to the financial services that our donors are telling us to use to deliver cash assistance, which, you know, you can't take that for granted. It's just not everywhere. So we might just need to build it. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. Um, awesome. So I would say um, 
that it's been really interesting to get an insight. Uh, it, it, it might be cool to maybe check in with you in six to 12 months time and see how it's gone and what you've learned and how it's progressed. And uh, I'd say thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us now. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Simon. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.